اعوذ باللہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم منزل الذي هو ذات ذات يقرض الله هو لون تو الله قرضا حسنا ا بيوتيفل لون من هو ذا ذس ذا مينز ذات ذس از جست لايك يو سي ذا ان ذلك اور هذا ذا ذا مينز ذات سو من ذا Who is it? Who is that? Alladhi, he who, يقرض الله, who will give a loan to Allah. What loan? Qardan hasanan. A beautiful loan. An excellent loan. Qard. Qaf radad. Qard is a loan. It literally means to cut something. To sever something. When you give a loan to someone, then you have to cut out a portion of your property. a portion of your belongings and you give it to them for some time this is what qard is you have to cut out a part of your belongings and give to the other person you have to cut out a part of your savings and give it to another person so that they can benefit from it they can use it for some time and manzalladhi yuqridullaha qardan hasanan who is it that will give to allah a beautiful loan what does it mean by this qardan hasan a beautiful loan Who needs to borrow money, by the way? Someone who is in need. Someone who does not have enough to take care of his needs. So he goes to other people, asks them, can I borrow such and such from you? So over here, Allah is telling us, Allah is asking us, would you lend something to me? Would you let me borrow something from you? Does that mean that Allah is needy? Does that mean that Allah is needy? Not at all. Allah is the one who gave us everything that we have in the first place. So how could He be needy? He's not needy. Then what does it mean by this? That who is it that would give to Allah a beautiful loan? What is this loan that Allah wants from us? Why is it that He wants from us? This is just like, imagine that some rich businessman in your community, you know them, they come up and they say to you, You have a couple thousand dollars? And you're like, yeah, I do. They're like, can you give them to me, please? Just for some time, as a loan. And you're like, why? Why do you need it? Like, just give it to me, I'll return it to you. You know, I want to invest it. I want to invest your money. Because it's just sitting there, let me invest it in my business, and whatever profit I get out of it, I'll give that to you. What would you do? What would you do? You know that they are very successful. You know what they're doing. You know they are capable. You know that whatever they touch, it turns into money. You know some people have that barakah in their business. So what will you do? You'll say, immediately, here. Here is my money. Please invest it. And keep it for as long as you want. Just give me the profit. Give it to me after five years. How much ever money you've made on top of this, give all of that to me in five years. You won't say, I want it tomorrow. You won't say, I want it in five days. I want it in a week. You'll say, keep it for years, but just give me the profit. They're not needy. They're doing you a favor. By borrowing that money from you for your sake, so that they can invest it, so that your money can grow, so that you can benefit at the end. Likewise, when Allah is asking us, lend me a loan, what does it mean? Give something for the sake of my religion. Give something in my way. 
And I will multiply that for you. I will increase it for you. Who is it that wants to give a loan to Allah? But the condition, it has to be a beautiful loan. فَيُضَاعِفَهُ لَهُ أَضْعَافًا كَثِيرًا And Allah will multiply that for him many, many times over. Does anybody want to make such an investment? Yes. Everyone wants their money to grow. If it's been sitting for some time, you say, had I invested it, it would have grown this much. People do the math all the time. I've had these $5,000, these $10,000 since I got married. My mahar is still sitting. You know, I could have invested it somewhere and by now I could have made 20000 Right? People dream a lot about their money growing. They wish and they hope a lot. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is making us an offer. Manzalladhi, who is it? Who wants to? Whoever wants to give a loan to Allah, then he should come forward. Then he should go and give a loan to Allah immediately. He should not delay. Manzalladhi yuqridu Allah qardan hasanan. Now what does it mean by lending a loan to Allah? What is it that Allah is asking us to spend in? Remember that when it comes to lending a loan to Allah, it means spending in the way of Allah. Previously it was mentioned, fight in the way of Allah. Now Allah is telling us, spend in the way of Allah. But He calls it qard. So spending in the way of Allah, what does it include? Promoting His deen, supporting the deen, defending the deen, and for all approved charitable purposes. It includes giving to the poor, giving to the needy, spending on the relatives. And we have learned about so many things in Surah Al-Baqarah already about where a person can spend. On the neighbor, on the traveler, on the orphan, on the needy. Correct? Close relatives, distant relatives. So all of this is what? Spending in obedience to Allah. Whenever you spend in obedience to Allah, that is what? As if you are giving Allah alone. Why does Allah call charity alone? Why is sadaqah called alone? Why? If you think about it alone, what is it? It is an amount of money, something of value, okay, not just cash, but something of value that is given to someone for how long? Forever? Is it given forever? No, for a fixed period of time. Right? And what's the condition? That that thing will be Returned. It will be returned. When you give a gift to someone, is it with the condition that the gift will be returned? Is it? No. When you give a gift to someone, then it's gone. Okay? Likewise, if you give a donation somewhere, what intention do we give it with? That it's gone. But when you give a loan to someone, here, $500, loan to you. This is a contract, sign here, sign there. Okay. What does it mean? That that 500 will be given back to you. It is guaranteed. So what Allah is telling us over here is that you spend in my cause and promise, guaranteed, whatever you spend will be returned to you. It will definitely be given back to you. Don't think that if you spend something in the way of Allah, it's lost, it's gone. It's not gone. You're getting it back. Because Allah is taking it as a loan upon Himself. He will return it to you. How will He return it to you? Sometimes in the dunya. Sometimes in the dunya and the akhirah. And sometimes not in the dunya but in the akhirah. Sometimes it happens that you spend in the way of Allah, you give something for the sake of Allah, and immediately you get something of equal value. 
isn't it? Recently somebody told me that they decided to give a donation somewhere and it was a big amount and they were a little hesitant in giving it but they saw the need and they said that I felt it was necessary to give that donation so they gave it. And when they got their tax returns, it was triple, five times in fact, five times the amount of money that they had donated. And they weren't expecting that much tax return. So sometimes Allah gives it back to you immediately. You put some money in a masjid box and what happens? A distant relative, some friend comes by and they give that same amount of money as a gift to you or your children or whatever. So Allah gives it back to you. Allah is the one who is above any need. He doesn't need your money. If He is asking you to spend, He is doing you a favor. Just remember that rich businessman who is making you an offer, give some money, they're giving you an opportunity. They're not using you. They're not manipulating you. They're actually doing ihsan to you. They're being very generous towards you. Likewise, when Allah gives us the opportunity to spend in His cause, this is a great favor of Allah upon us. So Allah asks, مَنْ ذَلَّذِي يُقْرِضُ اللَّهَ قَرْضًا حَسَنًا Who is it that will lend to Allah a beautiful loan? And it's a loan. Allah will return it. The reward will be given to you. It's guaranteed. And the reward is certain. But notice Allah says, قَرْضًا حَسَنًا You can't just give anything. You say, okay, these old clothes of mine, here. This interest money that has been sitting in my bank account, okay, let me give it as donation. No, it has to be qardan hasanan. What does hasan mean? That which is beautiful, that which is good. A qard alone, especially when given to Allah, will be hasan when it meets certain requirements. What are those requirements? That first of all, it is given with khalisun niyyah, meaning sincere intention. Sincere intention. It's not given for the sake of showing off, for the sake of getting approval from people and their praise. That people say that, oh, so and so gave so much donation. So and so gave so much to someone. No. It's for the sake of Allah. Sincere and pure intention. Lillah. Because if it's not given with sincere intention, would you call that act beautiful? No. When something is done, with the intention of showing off, can you call that action beautiful? It's not beautiful, it's corrupt. In a hadith, we learn that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that, I am most independent and free from needing associates. Whoever performs a deed while associating partners with me, I will leave him. Whoever does something for me and for others, meaning he says, okay, I'm giving sadaqah for the sake of Allah. But you know what, look, I'll give it at a time when people are watching. I'll also tell so-and-so that I've given this much money. I want my action to be appreciated by people, be praised by people. So what happens to this action? Allah doesn't accept it. He doesn't care about it. Why? Because Allah, He only likes which actions? Those that are done purely for His sake, sincerely for His cause. So first of all, ikhlas. Another condition is that it should be given in the right way. It should be given in the right cause. That we don't make it up ourselves. Oh, let me buy myself these nice pair of shoes that are extremely expensive. And, um, you know, I don't really need them. They're hundreds of dollars, but let me buy them. Because you know what? 
taking care of yourself is an obligation too. And okay, this is qard hasana that I'm giving to Allah. No, you don't make it up yourself. It has to be given in its place. It doesn't make sense that you are not giving any charity. You don't care about people who are walking barefoot and you are concerned about buying yourself brand name shoes which are hundreds and thousands of dollars and you think that is spending in the way of Allah. No. Yes, when a person fulfills his needs, he takes care of himself, that is also spending in the way of Allah because a person is fulfilling his duty, his obligation. But it should be done how? That a person is also spending in charity. So that money should be spent where? In the right cause. It should be spent in the right cause. What is the cause for the welfare of the deen? Giving charity to the poor and spending on the relatives, giving to those who are needy, feeding people who are hungry. This is all qad hasanan. The question is that, for example, if you are spending on your relatives, then you want to spend, you want to give that which they like. So you are considering their likes You're keeping that in your mind. Would that be shirk? No, it's not shirk at all. No way. Because you're just making your contribution even more beautiful. I mean, you should give that what people need, what people like. Because if you just give to people what they don't need, what they don't like, what are they going to do with it? It's going to be useless for them. It's going to be a burden for them. Like for example, if there are people living in a place where there's hot climate throughout the year, And you say, I'm going to buy winter jackets for them, expensive winter jackets. What benefit is that going to be? You're going to buy snow boots for them. What use are they? They're useless for them. In fact, they're a burden. Thirdly, it has to be given happily and willingly. What does it mean? Okay, no one is forcing you to do it. What else does it mean? You know, one is that you prepare food and you... put it on the table for your family and have a big smile on your face and you're happy about what you've done and you're happy about the fact that everybody's going to eat and the others that you're like, oh, what a chore, what a waste of time. Here you go, eat and wrap up yourselves. Bye, see you later. There's a difference, right? One person is performing that action with happiness, with willingness, with eagerness. And the other is doing it while considering it to be a burden. His heart is not involved. He doesn't want to do it. So just like the intention matters, the state of the heart, its happiness, its willingness, even that matters. So if a person is giving zakat, for example, but he's giving it while considering it to be a tax, he doesn't want to give it. He says, oh my God, I have to give 2.5% of my wealth. I don't want to give it. It's a waste of my money. My savings are diminishing. So he's giving it with dislike. That is not considered qard hasan. That's not considered a good charity at all. It has to be given with the willingness of the heart. This is just like one person gives you a gift with a big smile. And you're very happy about that. And another person gives you a gift and you feel burdened by that. You feel like, I have taken their ihsan and now I have to return it somehow. You feel burdened by it. One person is bringing you a glass of water happily. Another person is bringing you a glass of water while saying, okay, this is the third glass I'm bringing to you, by the way. What do you think? Like, please, don't bring me anything ever again. I don't want any favor from you. 
So you think that if we give to Allah like that, grudgingly, unhappily, you think He wants anything from us? He doesn't. He doesn't like such apparent obedience. Obedience has to be done with willingness as well. Then likewise, the qard hasan that a person gives for the sake of Allah and the way of Allah should be from wealth, from property that is halal, that is pure. A person should not say that, okay, I have my money in my bank account and you know there is interest accumulating. So that interest, I will just give it to the masjid. You know, it's extra. Over the years, I've collected $3 in interest, so I'm just going to give that to the masjid as donation. Will that donation be accepted? No. Whatever you give in sadaqah has to be from pure halal money. Whatever you spend in the way of Allah has to be from halal earnings. So what if you do have interest collecting in the bank? What should you do? First of all, you should not have. Go talk to your bank and tell them, please stop giving me interest or else I'll move to another bank. I'll switch to another bank. They'll do it for you. Okay? I'm telling you through experience. So you can do it. This is Canada, Mississauga. Okay? So you can do that. Secondly, if there is interest that has been accumulating from before, you still have it. Okay? Then what should you do with that? Some scholars, what they have said is that that khabis money, that impure money should be used for impure things. Okay? For example, somebody is in debt. They have to pay interest. Okay? They have to give interest. Now, they should not be giving interest with halal money. You understand? So for example, you want to help a person who has to, you know, return their loans, okay, and the interest is accumulating. So what should you do? Don't take out a thousand dollars from your halal earned money and give it to them so that they can pay off the interest. No. Take the interest money and give it to them to pay off that interest. Okay? So khabith should be used for khabith. Alright? Some scholars have even suggested that, for example, in making toilets or in washrooms and things like that, they should be used. But I feel that even that is a part of the masjid. That should be done with halal and pure money. Okay, But anyway, there are many masajid who have such a system. So if you have interest that has been accumulating, put it in an envelope, put on top of it interest money, and put it in the box, and inshallah they will deal with it. So anyway, it has to be halal money. Now, I have a question for you. If somebody says, I'm going to buy a lottery ticket, and if I win... Five million dollars, I'm going to buy a masjid. What should you do? Should you go ahead with that idea? No. Because if they get five million dollars through haram money, it is not justified. You cannot use that in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In the way of Allah, only tayyib, halal, pure money can be used because the Prophet ﷺ said, Ya ayyuhannas, inna Allah tayyib la yaqbalu illa tayyib. That, O oh people, indeed Allah is tayyib and He accepts only that which is tayyib, that which is clean and good and pure. Okay? This is just like if somebody brings to you a bottle of wine as a gift. What are you going to do with it? Would you accept it? What will you say? I'm sorry, I don't want it. Keep it to yourself. They say, oh, I got it for hundreds of dollars. No, I don't want it. It's not good. If you're very 
picky about the kind of clothes you wear, the kind of shoes you wear, the kind of things you eat, the kind of fragrances you use, and somebody brings you a fragrance from the dollar store, what will you do? Like, I don't want it. Sometimes you'll say it on the face of the person. I don't want it, I'm sorry. And sometimes people do that even. So Allah is tayyib and He accepts only that which is tayyib. Okay? Another question I have for you. If someone uses illegal software, okay, stolen software, do you know what I mean by that? You know what I mean by that, right? So instead of purchasing, for example, Windows or uh, let's say Microsoft Word or whatever, instead of purchasing such softwares, what do people do? They get a stolen copy from somewhere and they use that. And what do they do? They use it for doing Islamic work. What about that? Will that be considered tayyib? Will that be considered qard hasan? No. Just imagine. Just imagine. You are working on a software that was stolen. The foundation of your entire work, your entire project is based on what? Haram. Whatever you do with it, on top of it, you think it's going to be worth anything? You think Allah is going to accept it? Allah only accepts that which is tayyib, halal. Sometimes people say, oh, but they're so expensive and these people are so rich and they have so many millions of dollars in their assets, so why should we make them more rich? You know what? When you click that I have accepted and agreed all of the terms and conditions, you are making a contract. So it better be a legal contract. It should not be an illegal one. So be careful. Likewise, people will jailbreak their phone or whatever and they will download all the apps that have to be purchased for free. Whereas they have to be purchased. It's not fair. There are people who have put in so much money and effort in making those apps and there you are getting everything for free. This is not correct. This is not fair. Even if you are reading Qur'an with that, or you're reading adhkar with that, or you are sending very nice text messages and emails and posting very good things on Facebook or Twitter, using that software, it's not going to be acceptable because the foundation has to be tayyib. So be very careful. Then another condition is that whatever a person gives for the sake of Allah, he expects reward only from Allah. Not from people. And not just that he expects reward only from Allah, but that he actually expects reward from Allah. He hopes for reward from Allah. Meaning that consciousness should be there, that I am doing this so that I can earn reward. Because this is different from ikhlasun niyyah. Ikhlasun niyyah is sincerity for Allah. But this is that you are hoping for reward from Allah. You're not doing it just like that. Because sometimes people are doing a lot of good work. A lot of good work. But that intention is not there. They're not doing it to earn Allah's pleasure. Why are you giving this donation? Oh, because it's nice to help people in need. Right? Why are you bringing food to the food bank? Oh, because they're having a big food drive. Okay, but are you just bringing food for the food drive or you want reward from Allah too? Want reward from Allah as well. You should desire that. Qardan hasanan. Then another condition is that a person should not follow it with man and adha. What is man? Reminding of the favor. And adha, hurting the one whom the charity was given to. That a person goes to the masjid and he says, I have donated these many hundreds of dollars since the day I have come here. 
Now you better promote me. You better give such and such to me. You better give me this and this advantage. This is man and other. Whatever you gave will be wasted because of your such reminders. Then another condition is that whatever a person gives, it should be not just halal, but the best of what he owns. The best of what he owns. So for example, you find out that there is a food drive going on and you go through your pantry and you're like, oh, these cans, you know, these chickpea cans and this powdered milk and all of this has been sitting here for two years. I never got to use it. Somebody suggested to me to buy these cans and I never really used it. I don't think I want to. Okay, it's expired. Doesn't matter. I'll go put it in the food bank. This is not right. Okay, it is halal, but it should be the best wealth as well. The best of what you own as well. Just as you go to the grocery store and you buy food for yourself, buy food for the food bank as well. I remember once I helped out at a food bank and I was shocked at the amount of food that was expired. Amount of food that was expired. The masjid had to deal with it. They had to discard it. Now imagine the space is being used, the volunteers, their effort, their energy, their time is being wasted. Why? Because you brought expired food. So when we bring donations to a masjid, to an Islamic center, for any cause, any cause, Islamic or otherwise, when you give a donation somewhere, do it for the sake of Allah and give the best of what you own. But typically what happens? People give their old, worn, used clothes that are burnt or that are faded or that are torn or something is wrong with them. This is what they will give. But that's not right. Would you like that such a thing be given to you? Would you like that such a thing be given to you? Never. Then how can you want for the other what you don't want for yourself? Who is a believer? The one who likes for his brother what he likes for? Himself. So yes, halal, but also the best. Aisha anha, whenever she would give something for the sake of Allah, she would put fragrance on it. She would put perfume on it. Just imagine, like you're giving clothes or a box or something, and she would put perfume on it. Why? Because she would say that it goes in the hand of Allah before it goes in the hand of the beggar. Because in the hadith we learned that when a person gives something for the sake of Allah, Allah accepts it in his right hand. Allah accepts it in his right hand. So whatever you are giving, it is as though you are giving to Allah. Now what is it that you're giving? First of all, is it anything that you're giving? Ask yourself, because Allah is asking us, hasanan. Who is it that will give to Allah a good loan? Whoever wants to give it, come forward. And if we don't go forward, then we're not responding to the call of Allah, to His offer, to His invitation. And then secondly, what we're giving, what worth is it? What is its quality? Because we should give the best for the sake of Allah. And whenever a person gives for the sake of Allah, Allah says, فَيُضَاعِفَهُ لَهُ So He will multiply it for him. It is basically to double something. When there's one thing and you double it, you multiply it by two, then what happens? It becomes two. But if you multiply it by three, it will become three. That two, if you multiply it by two, it will become Four. That four, if you multiply it by two, if you double it, it will become eight. That eight, if you double it, it will become sixteen. And if you double that, thirty-two. If you double that, sixty-four. You double that, I mean, it's endless. 
It's endless. So فَيُضَاعِفَهُ Allah will multiply it for him. How many times? Once? So that if he gave one dollar, it will become like two dollars? No. Allah says, أَضْعَافًا كَثِيرًا Many, many times over. Not just once or twice, but he will multiply it many, many times over. So that that person would have given only one dirham, one dollar, but it's as though he has given 700 or more dollars. And inshallah we will learn more about how much the reward is multiplied for charity that is given in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The hadith that tells us that in the last third of the night, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala descends to the lowest heaven and He says that who is it that asks me so I can give him? All of you familiar with that hadith? That same hadith tells us that Allah also asks, مَن يُقْرِضُ غَيْرَ عَدِيمٍ وَلَا ظَلُومٍ Who is it that will give a loan to the one who is neither poor nor unjust? He is not poor. That he needs your charity, your loan. Nor is he unjust that he will consume everything and he will never return it to you. No. He is free of need and whatever you give for his sake, he will definitely give it back to you. And how will he give it back to you? أَضْعَافًا كَثِيرًا Unlimited number of times. So that a person will go on the Day of Judgment and he will be amazed, surprised by the amount of reward that Allah has multiplied for him, that Allah has accumulated for him. But my dear sisters, if we don't even give, then where will this reward come from? To have something at the end, you need something to start with, right? If you want a thousand dollars at the end, do you not need to start with at least a dollar? Do you not need to do that? Yes, you do. If you want your money to grow, it will not grow sitting in the bank. You have to invest it somewhere. So likewise, we cannot expect heaps and heaps of reward if we're not doing anything. We have to give something for the sake of Allah. Allah is asking us, who will come forward, give something for my sake, I will take it as a loan, and I will multiply it many, many times. And if you think that no, you want to keep everything to yourself, you don't want to give anything for the sake of Allah, then Allah reminds us that وَاللَّهُ يَقْبِضُ وَيَبْسُطُ وَإِلَيْهِ تُرْجَعُونَ What you have, you have it temporarily. What you have can go away. You can lose it. It can be stolen. Because وَاللَّهُ يَقْبِضُ وَيَبْسُطُ يَقْبِضُ قَافْ بَعْضَاد قَبْض is to hold something, to grasp something, to restrict something. So Allah restricts, meaning He limits, وَيَبْسُطُ بَسْط to extend, to expand, to stretch out. So Allah can restrict the money that you have and He can also expand it. He can take back what He has given to you. He can limit your provisions. He can make them very, very tight for you, very limited for you, very restricted for you. And at the same time, He can make it unrestricted for you. Because who is the raziq? Who is the provider? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when He is a provider, then He can give you more, He can give you less. He can take back what He gave you even. So don't be stingy, in other words, with who? With the one who gave you. Don't be stingy with him. Give, lend, spend, and Allah will multiply the reward for you. And remember that, وَإِلَيْهِ تُرْجَعُونَ To him, you will be returned. You're not here in this world forever. 
This money that you have, you cannot enjoy it forever. The jewelry that you have, you cannot wear it forever. Eventually a day will come when you will die and you will leave everything behind. So why should you not spend this in the way of Allah so that at least it grows and when you go in the hereafter, you have something. You know, when people are working, they prepare for their retirement funds. So that when they retire, they have some money. What are we doing for our akhirah funds? What are we doing? What are we investing for that? Old age, everybody gets it. Those who live up to that point, they are going to face it. They cannot work at that time. They cannot make money as much as they were making before. So it's a reality. The akhirah is even more certain. The hereafter is even more certain. And in the hereafter, people will be most needy for the good deeds that they neglected. So, وَاللَّهُ يَقْبِضُ وَيَبْسُطُ وَإِلَيْهِ تُرْجَعُونَ And to him, you will be returned. And in this is also encouragement that we should spend without fear of poverty. That when a person gives in the way of Allah, he should not have this fear that, oh, I will have less, I will become poor. Because, remember that a hadith tells us that sadaqah does not decrease wealth. When you give in the way of Allah, your money will not reduce. You will say, no, but if you do the math, obviously it has reduced. I'm a hundred dollars short. I'm a thousand dollars short. But look at the bigger picture. You gave a hundred dollars now. For this month, you are a hundred dollars short. But the next month, you could have a hundred dollars extra. Sadaqah does not reduce wealth. Let's listen to the recitation. أَلَمْ تَرَ إِلَى الَّذِينَ خَرَجُوا مِنْ دِيَارِهِمْ وَهُمْ أُلُوفٌ حَذَرَ الْمَوْتِ فَقَالَ لَهُمُ اللَّهُ مُوتُوا ثُمَّ أَحْيَاهُمْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَذُو فَضْلٍ عَلَى النَّاسِ وَلَكِنَّ أَكْثَرَ النَّاسِ لَا يَشْكُرُونَ وَقَاتِلُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ وَاعْلَمُوا أَنَّ اللَّهَ سَمِيعٌ عَلِيمٌ مَنْ ذَا الَّذِي يُقْرِضُ اللَّهَ قَرْضًا حَسَنًا فَيُضَاعِفَهُ لَهُ أَضْعَافًا كَثِيرًا وَاللَّهُ يَقْبِضُ وَيَبْسُطُ وَإِلَيْهِ تُرْجَعُونَ Everything that we have in our lives, whether it is our money or our life, our breaths, our talents, our skills, our abilities, money, anything, who has control over that? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He can restrict it and He can expand it. He can give it to us in limited quantities and He can give it to us in unlimited quantities even. It's up to Him. So when you please Him, then you're safe, you're fine. So, in this is encouragement that Wallahu yaqbidu wa yabsutu. So don't have that fear, don't be anxious when you spend in the way of Allah. Spend and Allah will multiply it for you. Give in His way and He will give you more. If you have something very beautiful and you want to give it to your sister, you like it a lot and you want to give it to your sister so that she can use it, she can enjoy it and you know that she likes it. So, will you get reward for that too? Yes, if you have that intention that you're giving it so that Allah will be happy with you. Because earlier in Surah Al-Baqarah, we learned that we are encouraged to spend on the relatives even. Even if they're not needy. Even if they're not needy. 
Because when you give to another person, you are giving your things away. Whether they're needy or not, you are parting from your belongings, from your loved things. And you would do that to earn the pleasure of Allah. So when you're doing that, Allah appreciates that a lot. You have to have that intention that you're giving a gift for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So for example, you're going to meet your relatives, you're going to meet a friend, and you don't go empty-handed, you take a gift for them. But you have that intention, you want to give that gift so that Allah will be happy with you. Go ahead, do that. But remember that the best kind of charity is that which is given in every cause. So we shouldn't just be directing all of our donations to just buying gifts, okay? But also, on spending on the needy, you know, spending on the food drive. I believe that the food bank that we have here, for the next little while, we have the target of collecting one ton of food items. So contribute in that as well, inshallah. Whatever that you can. It doesn't matter who the recipient is. The giver matters. The recipient, it could be desperately needy, faqir, it could be miskeen, someone who is needy but not that needy, could be relatives because we know that we have been told to spend on our parents as well. So regardless of that, if somebody gives you something and you don't know whether that thing was earned through halal means or not, is that going to affect you? No. You're getting it through the right means, meaning it's being gifted to you. So you're not at fault. They are at fault. It doesn't have to be tangible. So it can be cash. It could be something physical. And it can even be something like a smile. It could be a good word. A good word is also a charity. Dua. Saying some words that will bring comfort to a person. Someone is sick. They're unwell. They're hurt. They're suffering. So you say something to them that will really give them courage and hope. Motivation, so that's also a charity. But we see over here that because the context is of going out in the way of Allah and supporting the deen of Allah, then definitely this is, the context speaks about tangible contributions, especially for the cause of the deen. And when a person spends in that cause, then Allah will multiply that reward for him. And, you know, think about the companions. What did they have? Many of them, they were extremely poor. Whatever they had, had been confiscated by their enemy because they left their properties back in Mecca. But did Allah leave them poor? No. They spent whatever little they had in the way of Allah and Allah made them the richest of people. Allah increased their wealth for them. So always remember, no matter how little you have, you have to spend in every situation in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to earn His pleasure. Sometimes people think, oh, right now I'm not working. Right now I'm only a student. Right now my parents give me money. Your parents give you allowance, they give you lunch money. Even if it's lunch money, can you not take out a dollar from that? So what if you don't have Coke one day? So what if you don't have fries one day? What's the big deal? So what if you take lunch from home one day and don't buy lunch at school and instead spend that money for a good cause? Every single person can afford to do that inshallah. So we should not leave out these opportunities because look at the reward. Allah will multiply it many times over. A hadith tells us that whoever gives charity equivalent to a date even. From his pure earnings and Allah only accepts pure, then Allah will accept it with his right hand and then he will nurture it for its companion. Meaning that date, he will cause it to grow. 
Like one of you nurtures his foal until it becomes like a mountain. Like a mountain. A date turns into how much? A mountain. فَيُضَاعِفَهُ لَهُ أَضْعَفًا كَثِيرًا وَاللَّهُ يَقْبِضُ وَيَبْسُطُ وَإِلَيْهِ تُرْجِعُونَ You're ultimately going back to him. So why be stingy with him? Spend in his way so that you can have something in the hereafter. And this shows to us the generosity of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is the one who gave us everything in the first place. Then he gives us the tafiq to spend something in his cause. And when we do that, he is the one who multiplies the reward many times over. Like, what are we? Look at His grace upon us. So why should we not support His deen? Why should we not promote His deen so other people can also benefit? Let's listen to the recitation. أَلَمْ تَرَ إِلَى الَّذِينَ خَرَجُوا مِن دِيَارِهِمْ وَهُمْ أُلُوفٌ حَذَرَ الْمَوْتِ فَقَالَ لَهُمُ اللَّهُ مُوتُوا ثُمَّ أَحْيَاهُمْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَذُو فَضْلٍ عَلَى النَّاسِ وَلَكِنَّ أَكْثَرَ النَّاسِ لَا يَشْكُرُونَ وَقَاتِلُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ وَاعْلَمُوا أَنَّ اللَّهَ سَمِيعٌ عَلِيمٌ مَنْ ذَا الَّذِي يُقْرِضُ اللَّهَ قَرْضًا حَسَنًا فَيُضَاعِفَهُ لَهُ أَضْعَافًا كَثِيرَةً وَاللَّهُ يَقْبِضُ وَيَبْسُطُ وَإِلَيْهِ تُرْجَعُونَ Alam tara ila al-mala'i Have you not reflected on the mala'? Al-mala' is from the root letters mim, lam, hamza and mil is to the fill of something mil'ul ard, the fill of the earth and mala' is used for the chiefs the ashraf, the nobles, the leaders the elite of a community, of a tribe of a country whether they are politicians or they are the chiefs of a tribe in whatever way whether they are the wealthy, influential people, this is what mala' are. So, have you not reflected on the case of who? The mala', the chiefs, the council of elders, the ashraf, which ashraf? Mim bani Israel, from the children of Israel. Which mala' from the bani Israel? Who are bani Israel? They were the people of Musa salam. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us about an incident that took place in the history of bani Israel. When did it take place? Min ba'di Musa, after Musa alayhi salam. How long after him? Allahu a'lam. We're not concerned about that. All we need to know is that this happened after Musa alayhi salam. Whether it happens 300 years after him or 500 years after him, the point is that it happened after Musa alayhi salam. So what did the mala' do? What did these chiefs do? إِذْ قَالُوا When they said, لِنَبِيِّ لَهُمْ To a prophet for them. Meaning to a prophet who was sent to them. Bani Israel were one of those people in fact to whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent many, many prophets to. Before Musa alayhi salam, after Musa alayhi salam, many prophets were sent to them. All the way until Isa alayhi salam. He was the last prophet sent from among them to them. And after him, the final messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi salam was also sent to them but he was not sent only to them and he was not from them either. So there was a prophet who had been sent to them. These mala, these notables, these chiefs, they went up to him 
And they said, Ibarath lana malikan. Ibarath, ba'insa, ba'atha, to raise, to appoint. So you should appoint, O Prophet, for us, malikan, a king. We want a king. Malik, mim lam kaf. Malik is basically a king, a leader, who manages the affairs of people, who leads them, who decides between them, judges between them, makes decisions for them. So they wanted a king. Why did they want a king when there was a prophet and they themselves were nobles, they themselves were rich, they were wealthy, they were influential. Why is it that they wanted a king? Nuqatil fi sabilillah. We want to fight in the way of Allah. Now, it is not mentioned in the Quran and Sunnah as to when exactly this incident took place in history, who this prophet was, what was the name of that prophet, alayhi salam. We don't even know as to why they wanted to fight. Okay, What was the reason that they wanted to fight in the way of Allah? But there are some Israeli traditions. Israeli traditions meaning those things that the Muslims got to learn from who? From the Bani Israel, from the Jews and the Christians. And with regards to them, the Prophet ﷺ instructed us that narrate that, meaning learn from them and narrate that, but don't confirm it or reject it. Don't say that that is the truth, nor should you say that it is false. Unless the Qur'an and Sunnah state otherwise. So for example, if something is mentioned in the Bible, can we use that? Can we refer to that? Yeah? We can. Okay, we can. But we should not say, oh, this is what actually happened. Nor should we say, oh, this cannot happen, this is completely false, this is completely untrue. We cannot confirm it, nor can we reject it. We can only reject it when it contradicts the Qur'an. So for example, if it says something about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or about Ibrahim alayhi salam, about Nuh alayhi salam, about Lut alayhi salam, that is inappropriate, that is wrong, then we will consider it to be wrong. But otherwise, we will accept it. But we don't have to believe in it as we have to believe in the Qur'an. So there are some Israeli traditions that tell us about when this incident took place, what happened exactly. Wahab ibn Munabbi, he said, that the children of Israel, they remained on the straight path for a period of time after Musa a.s. They were upon guidance. And then what happened? They began innovating in their religion and they deviated from the correct way to the point that there was even shirk being committed amongst them. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in His kindness and mercy, He kept sending prophets to guide them, to lead them to the straight way. And eventually there came a time when the Bani Israel, they even lost the Torah. Because you're not talking about a time where books were being printed, where Qur'an was freely available like it is available today. No, that was a time when if something was written, it could be written only by professional scribes who were very few. And it was very difficult to get writing materials and all of that. So they lost the Torah completely. How did they lose it? That when they committed so many sins, when they disobeyed their Lord, when they deviated from the truth to such an extent, then Allah sent His punishment upon them. How did Allah send His punishment upon them? That He sent their enemies above them. He sent unbelieving people against them, who fought them, who committed great injustices upon them, who committed great transgression against them, and who also destroyed the Torah. This is just like we Muslims today. How close are we to the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? How much do we adhere to it? We know, but yet we disobey. Just like the Bani Israel said, Samirna wa asayna, that's exactly what we do. So then what happens? Muslims, they feel secure? Nowhere. Nowhere. And imagine if some people, they even attacked Makkah and the Kaaba was destroyed. 
just imagine if that happened what would you say that's it this is done islam is going to wipe out it's going to finish now this is what happened with bani israel the torah was lost their enemies had confiscated it from them destroyed it and there were only a few people who had memorized the torah by heart only a few individuals who survived the bait al-maqdis the place of worship that was ruined that was destroyed they had no freedom over there they could not even go and worship allah in the house of allah so at that time when their lands were confiscated they were driven out of their homes the bani israel and on top of that their book was also lost their children were killed they went up to their prophet and they said appoint a king for us a leader we want a leader who will lead us and guide us and teach us and under whose leadership we can fight our enemy and we can regain our lands and we can regain our freedom and we can practice our religion properly so they wanted to do something for themselves they went to their prophet that ibath lana malikan nuqatil fi sabil allah This is just like the Muslims. They went to the Prophet ﷺ and they said, allow us to fight. But what were they told? No, not yet. Focus on salah, focus on charity, focus on ihsan, focus on forgiveness right now. Build yourselves internally and then think about something else. And then later on, when the command was given to fight, then some people, they were hesitant. So likewise, what happened over here? That فَلَمَّا كُتِبَ عَلَيْهِمُ الْقِتَالِ Then when qital was prescribed upon them, what was the reaction? Tawallaw. They turned away. They said, no, we don't want to. This is just like a person keeps saying, I want to get married, I want to get married. And when they're asked, they say, no, 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 I'm too young. What were you talking about then? There are lots of stories that are mentioned. I don't think that they're relevant. We should focus on the story that Allah has mentioned because if there was... any benefit in knowing all of those details then allah would have definitely mentioned those details and when he did not then that means we can do without them so let's focus on the lesson what allah is teaching us over here so falamma kutiba alayhim alqital tawallaw they turned away illa qalila minhum except for a few of them only a few of them said okay yes we are ready we are ready but most of them the majority of them they turned away How much is a few? How much is qalil? Less than a third. Less than a third. Because once a sahabi, he wanted to make a will. And he said, okay, can I give a third? And the Prophet ﷺ said, yes. But وَثُلُثُ كَثِيرٌ And the third is also a lot. So that means that less than one third will be qalil. Now imagine, less than a third of people said okay we are ready to fight more than two thirds they turned away so imagine if there were a thousand people a thousand people less than how many agreed 300 just imagine down from a thousand to 300 wallahu alimun and allah is knowing the zalimin of those who are unjust who are the zalimin those who do zulm what is zulm zulm is to do that which is wrong But zulm is also to not do that which you're supposed to. To leave out, to neglect the obligation, the duty. 
So for example, if a person has to show up to take a test and they don't take that test, what is that? Zulm. If a person is supposed to say their lesson in their groups and they don't do that, what is it? Zulm. If a person has to show up in class and they don't, what is that? Zulm. Because we think zulm is like cheating. Or zulm is like being rude to someone. Or zulm is like you know harming someone. No, zulm is also not doing what you're supposed to. Because this is injustice against who? Yourself. You're not giving yourself your right. You're being unfair to yourself. This is not right that you pay the fees somewhere and you don't take the class seriously. Is it fair? No. This is not fair that the parents are spending money so that their children can learn and those children are not taking their studies seriously. It's not fair. This is injustice against the parents. This is injustice against oneself. That Allah has given you the ability, the opportunity to learn something good and you don't take that seriously. This is injustice against yourself. So why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala call these people zalim? Because they went and they demanded that they should be allowed to fight and a king should be appointed for them. And when they were told to fight, they said, no, no, we don't want to. When they were obligated to go for it, they said, we don't want to. What do we learn from this? What do we learn in this verse? That don't ask for those things that will put you in hardship. Don't demand such things that will put you in hardship. So for example, a person says, you know these long weekends, I don't like them. Because it's such a long gap, such a long break between the classes. So you know what, we should not have any breaks at all. Even on long weekends, we should come and have our classes. And I say, yes, we should have our classes. Then what will you say? No, we can't come on the long weekend. I need a break too. So whatever allowance we have been given, whatever freedom we have been given, we should enjoy that and not demand for difficulties. Then we also learn this verse that the status of prophethood is greater than that of a king. Because the people went up to the prophet and said, appoint a king for us. There are many professions that a person could have. He could be a political leader, he could be a religious leader, he could be a teacher, he could be anything. But we see that the best position, the best status is what? Of prophethood. That's the highest one. This is why Allah teaches us in the Qur'an, وَجَعَلْنَا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ imama. Also we learned that in order to fight, there has to be a leader. I want you to understand this properly. In order to fight, there has to be a leader. The Bani Israel... The nobles, they did not do this. That okay, one person is going to the enemy and just killing one or two and getting himself into trouble. Okay? Or taking a bomb and blowing himself up. No. There has to be a leader. When it comes to fighting even, Muslims fight in an organized manner. Not haphazardly. When we pray, we pray together. And when we face the enemy, we face the enemy together. This does not make sense that randomly a person visits some websites and listens to something and he gets so motivated, he's like, oh, I'm going to kill all these Americans. And he goes and kills innocent people. This is not jihad. The Bani Israel, the nobles, the elite, they went up to their prophet and they said, appoint a leader for us. We would like to fight. We would like to take revenge from our enemy. They weren't going haphazardly, randomly. No, this has to be done in an organized fashion as well. So be very careful because there are many people out there who try to take hold of who? People who are serious about the deen and they will influence them 
Oh, now you're studying Quran. What about people in Somalia? And what about these Americans? What are you doing about them? And they will make you read a website and they will give you an article and they will give you something and try to brainwash you. Please, remember, this is not jihad. And as Muslims in this day and age, we can't even think about fighting. We are supposed to educate ourselves. We are supposed to educate ourselves. Force ourselves to get up and pray Fajr on time. Pray Asr on time. Pray our Salah in the Masjid. Speak properly with our parents first. And then think about fighting an enemy. The Sahaba were not allowed to fight for 13 years. They were not allowed. Then only they were given permission. And that too happened how? In an organized fashion. In an organized manner. So this is a very important lesson that I want every single one of you to remember. Then we also learn that a person should not wish for battle. He should not wish for battle. Because when the people, they express their desire that, oh, we want to fight, the Prophet asked them. That is it possible that if you are told, you say, no, you don't want to? You turn away then? A hadith tells us that, oh, people do not wish to face the enemy in a battle. And ask Allah to save you. But if you should face the enemy, then be patient. And let it be known to you that paradise is under the shades of swords. But how does the hadith begin? People remember the last part of the hadith. Okay? Paradise lies under the shade of swords. But they forget the first part of the hadith. Then we also learn in this verse that a person might think of himself as strong and powerful and capable, but then when the time comes to do something... He fails. These people, they went up and they said, we want to fight. He said, the Prophet said, what if you don't? They said, why wouldn't we? We have every reason to fight. We were expelled from our lands, our children were killed. We want to fight. But when the time came, they backed out. Right? Likewise, we make promises. You know, when I get married, then I will be so obedient to my husband. And when I get married and I have children, I will teach them this and this. And when the husband comes... And I go, oh, this is too difficult. And when the children come, mom, please come and help me. People wish for hardship, thinking that they are strong and they're capable. But when they're tested, then they badly fail. What's the reason? Should we not wish for greater challenges? We should not actually. But then how do we get better? The thing is that we should never be overconfident. We should never be overconfident. We should never think of ourselves as very smart and capable. Remember that the ability to do anything good comes from who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These people, they said, وَمَا لَنَا أَلَّا نُقَاتِلَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ Why would we not? Meaning we are willing, we are 100% ready, we are capable, we have every reason to do so. They were boasting. They were being proud. Self-confidence sometimes deludes us.